You stand on the shore of the ocean watching the tide come in. You sense the call of the sea beckoning to take you in further. You step forward little by little not knowing what to expect, but expecting more. You keep going as the ocean calls calls you to enter in to deeper waters. everyone and welcome to the Deeper Waters Podcast. I am Nick Peters, your host, seeking to bring you the very best in Christian scholarship and apologetics. And today we've got an interesting show. As I record this right now, it's October 8th and sex talk is all in the news today. And right now, a lot of parents are probably having to explain to their children a lot of terms they never thought they would have to explain. It's like being in the 90s again. How, how do we do that? How can we do that? I mean, this is such a sensitive topic, and some parents seem to have the idea of, nope, nope, never never mention it, not until, oh, maybe, not until they walk down the aisle. That's when we'll talk about it. And I will say, geez, what's the big deal? Just tell them everything they need to know right up front. Well, what is the best way to do it? In order to discuss that, and this, this show was booked way in advance, so it's just perfect timing that right? it happens to come out this time, I've asked Mary Flo Ridley to come on. In 1986, she began presenting a popular parenting seminar in the Dallas area, teaching parents how to talk to their children about sex. Armed with medical research, personal stories, and humor, Mary Flo walks parents through very specific ways to answer their children's early questions of confidence. She gives parents a simple strategy that allows them to share their values along with a basic biology and develop a positive plan for introducing this subject in a preschool and early elementary years. <clears throat> for our first book and DVD series, Simple Truths with Mary Flo Ridley, and as an international speaker, Mary Flo gives parents the simple tools they need to begin these conversations. In our second book, God's Very Good Design, parents can see this strategy unfold in a biblical context. She is thrilled to partner with Megan McCorson, to bring this message to a new generation. Mary Flo grew up in El Paso, Texas, and graduated from SMU. She has been joyfully married to her husband, Dave, for 36 years, and have three married children and six grandchildren. So, um, Mary Flo, welcome to the Deeper Waters podcast. Thank you, Nick. I'm delighted to be here. If my audience doesn't know much about you, can you tell us a little bit more about how you got to be doing what you're doing? Certainly. It's it's not um, your regular calling in life, and I certainly didn't expect to be doing this with my life, but I was a volunteer when I was a very young mother with um, the Dallas Junior League and did some volunteer work with them, and I was always interested in families and family dynamics, and I was doing some training for them. I had been a high school teacher, and I enjoyed teaching. And because my interest was in families and my interest was in teaching, the league asked me to come up with an, uh, a workshop for our members because they had put a suggestion in the suggestion box, would someone please teach us how to talk to our children about sex? So they asked me to do that, and I told them that I just couldn't possibly do that because... I had grown up in a family where the word sex was never said. I had a lo- I had lovely parents, lovely family, but it was just the times. You know, I, I was um, born in 1954, and so it was just the times. It was just 
um, people were just a lot more private about all of that. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't think I could do it. And so they said, well, we will send you to Washington, D.C., and you can be trained to do this. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I would love to take a trip. <laughs> I didn't know travel was involved. So I said, okay, I'll give it a try. I went to D.C., and there was an organization there that was training people about how to talk to children about sex. And I found that I didn't agree with anything I was hearing at this workshop. It was basically, the underlying premise was basically our children are going to be sexually active starting at an early age, and there's really not much you can do about that, so just get ready. That was what I would say was kind of where they were coming from, and I was coming from a different perspective. So I came back to Dallas, and I I was now intrigued with how Dave and I were going to tackle this issue with our own children. And I was interested to think about as a Christian, how would God have me do this? What should we do? How, you know, how should we present this in a way that, that, um, I think he would want me to do it. So as I prayed about it and thought about it, a strategy kind of just unfolded. And as I was doing research and talking to pediatricians and people who work with children and youth and what the problems and the issues are, Um, then my strategy kind of took form and I started presenting a program that parents found very helpful. I present this in churches, but also not only in churches. I, I present this in public schools, in both conservative and liberal private schools. Um, I only present it to parents. I don't talk to the children. I, I just try to equip and train parents. And, um, I've been invited into lots of different situations and um, find it very challenging and enjoying. Well, I can certainly understand a lot of what you're saying there. And I find it ridiculous when people say, your children are going to have sex anyway, so you might as well get used to it. I, I think the audience knows some of my story is that I'm the quintessential nerd and the nerds don't usually get the girls, so it took me a long time. I didn't get married until just before I turned 30. Yay! And by the way, she had just turned 19 when I married her. So so I, I robbed the crater big time. <laughs> Actually, she just turned 20. I got my dates coming. She just turned 20. So I robbed that crater big time. But yeah, we were both versions before we got married. So parents, it's doable. If someone tells you your kids are going to have sex anyway, don't believe it. It's it's not inevitable. That's mm-hmm. for sure. And the thing is, is that um, parents sometimes just give up and don't really pursue the, the things that they think might actually be in their children's best interest. Mm-hmm. And so because they um, just don't pursue that path with their children, then that's, you know, a very, because they think it's challenging, they give up a little bit too soon. But also, it's it's just a, a subject that parents find uncomfortable mm-hmm. in and of themselves. And so it's just, it can be overwhelming. And that was one of the things that was a goal of mine in this parenting workshop is to see if we could make this not so overwhelming because having the 
awkward, most awkward conversation at is at the most awkward age is just not a good combination. Mm -hmm. So instead, this strategy involves parents getting engaged um, and laying a foundation for these conversations when they're very young. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, Mary, I think something that we should point out is that you talk about you grew up, you were born in the 1950s. And so growing up in the 50s and 60s, I mean, this is the age of black and white television where Mary <laughs> Kepler's on sitcoms weren't even shown sleeping in the same beds. That's together. right. And the first show that actually had a husband and wife sleeping in the same bed was, believe it or not, the Flintstones. Uh, <laughs> but today, we're not in that world anymore, but a lot of people are still seem to think we've got the 1950s going on around us and it's the exact same morality, and it's not anymore. It's not anymore, Nick. And really, I would say that there have been two gigantic revolutions, the first being the sexual revolution of the 60s, which I definitely lived through. And the other revolution would be the technology revolution that we are living through right now. But we've certainly seen how those two revolutions changed so much in our culture. But the thing that has not changed in our culture is how we talk to our kids about sex. So that is one of my, um, one of the things that I would like to do. I would like for the new normal in talking to your children about sex to be that you start actually when they're very young. And that will that will upset some Christian parents. But what I want them to know is we're not talking sexy talk when they're young. We are talking your basic, most basic biology and your values. So I go through six steps with parents to lay that foundation. And it actually is easier to talk to your children because there's a window, Nick, of of curiosity when children are young. And if you can attach answers that start to make you the expert on this subject when they're very young, then you can connect with them on this subject. And then when things do get complicated or awkward, you can already have that that groundwork done. So I'd love to walk through the steps for you if you want me to, or we can just talk about the culture or anything you anything you're interested in. Well, how about we start with those steps? What are the steps? Okay. Okay. Um, The first step is that parents develop their message that they want for their children. And this is very, um, this is sort of the cornerstone. This is what allows me to speak both in um, faith-based settings and in very liberal settings, because I think not only people of faith want to know how to talk to their children about sex, so we, we encourage parents to come up with what we call their message. What is it that you do want your children to know about sex if they're growing up in your family? And this can be a, a, a message just that's your, that is your heartbeat. For example, because Dave and I are people of faith, our message to our children was that we wanted them to grow up understanding that sex is a gift from God intended for marriage. We wanted them to see the beauty of his design in sexuality, and we also wanted them to understand the boundaries that he gave them. So the beauty is the gift from God, but the boundaries are that it's intended for marriage. But, you know, any family can come up with any message that they desire, 
But it's important for the parents to do the thoughtful work of considering what is it that they do want their children? What is the image that they hope their children have about sex, not from the culture, but from their very own family? So it's very intentional parenting on this subject. So that's the first step is what is your message? And that's just done as as a married couple or as a single parent. Then once you have that message and it's kind of really important that you love it, then every single conversation you have with your child sort of points to that message or takes vocabulary from that message. Um, It's a signpost for you and gives purpose and meaning to all your conversations. So that's the first step. The second step is to consider your vocabulary. If you're going to talk to children, you have to talk to them with helpful words. (laughs) And I found that I didn't have any words. I, I only had the word privates. And I wasn't using the anatomically correct words. And I realized that I needed to do that for my children. I needed to identify, you know, if they were a male or a female, how am I identifying those, those parts? And so um, we started using the correct vocabulary. And I'm going to let parents know that because I know some of these radio programs children do listen to, some of these podcasts, I'm just going to let them know that um, or I guess I'd like your advice, Nick, if, if it would be polite or, or impolite for me to use those on your radio, on your podcast. I think it's just fine when your friend Eda Bush was on. She uses terminology about go ahead and tell parents, you know, if okay. you're not ready yes. to talk about this yet, parents, then hold off and wait to both children our way and then come back. We'll still be here. Okay, that's perfect. Thank you, Nick. Yes, Frida, that's that's just wonderful. Okay, so um, it's helpful for you to identify the penis and the vagina, and to for them for it not to be silly, wingy, wangy words, but also if you want to use the continue to use the word privates when you're in public, then I think that's just fine. I don't think you have to use those words at all times, but help them to understand the the special those special parts of their body have very specific names. And so respectful talking about bodies, always being respectful of uh, anytime you're talking about someone that's made in the image of God, you need to be respectful of of their bodies. Mm -hmm. So um, the second step is your vocabulary. The third step is to tell the story of birth. And we encourage that to be done in sort of a dazzling way so that your children find that you are an expert on something. So even though we know as adults that conception comes before birth, children developmentally usually are curious about birth before they're curious about conception. So when they ask, so daddy, how is that baby getting out of mommy's tummy? You'll want to first of all let them know, well, the baby is actually in a place specially designed by God called the womb or the uterus, and that's where the baby's growing. And it's not in mommy's tummy. That's where the cheeseburgers go. So this special place designed by God is where the baby's been growing for nine months. And after nine months, the baby is ready to leave the uterus. God has a way that this happens. The baby, there's, there are muscles around the uterus that push the baby out of the birth canal, out of the uterus, through the birth canal, and out a special opening between the mother's legs called the vagina. And then the daddy or the mommy cut the umbilical cord that's still connected connecting the baby to the mommy, and now we have a new baby. Uh, Sometimes a baby is in the uterus and is ready to come out, but it wiggles, and it's not going straight to the birth canal. 
When that happens, the doctor will know it, and he will take his instruments and make a slit close to where the baby is and lift the baby out, and that's called a cesarean section. Some children are born that way. So it's a very um, impressive story for children, much more impressive than, than just saying, well, we go to the hospital and the doctor takes the baby out. And one reason we want to give them an impressive story is because that will let them know in their minds, oh, my goodness, my mom and dad know all about this. They know, they're experts on this. And they, we want our children to come to us with their questions. And we also want to put them in awe of God's beautiful design. Mm-hmm. So the next step is very simple. It's a step of observing seeds and eggs in all living things and just recognizing that this is a pattern that God has set up since Genesis, that there would be fruit bear, uh, seed, seeds that bear fruit and eggs, that there is a way that all things that are living, that are created by God, are reproduced. So it's snack time, and instead of just throwing the core of the apple into the garbage disposal, you open that up and show your children the seeds. And if it's if you're pumpkin carving this, this season, maybe you'll want to just let them examine the eggs, be observant about how they feel, what they look like, how they really don't look like, what they're going to become. And, um, and just sort of be a student of seeds and eggs, because that will then help you with the next step, which is conception, which is answering that curious question of, so mommy, how did that, how did that baby get in there? Which is, for many parents, the dreaded question. Um, are you okay with me continuing? Are we okay? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just about an old insurance commercial. It's not too bad. I remember seeing it in Tennessee about a guy seeing at a restaurant with his daughter, and at the table behind him there's a guy who, hearing the question she's answering, and he's giving an answer to the dad for every single one. And then she asks a question: Where do babies come from? And this little guy says, "Check, please." <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it is kind of the dreaded question that parents, you know, just really kind of don't want to handle. Plus, even if they do, like if they want to do this, their question is oftentimes, Nick, when? Like, what's the right age? Because they don't want to do it too soon. They don't want to do it too late. And they, they just don't have confidence about when is the right time. Mm-hmm. And... um Because of the current culture that we live in, I am an advocate for talking for parents, not kindergartens, not other people, not other teachers, but for parents to engage their children in understanding this at a at a fairly young age. And and here's why. Here's why, Nick, because you have, let's say, two six year olds sitting next to each other in first grade. Mm -hmm. One six year old is a firstborn six year old. So he's the oldest one in his family, and he loves six-year-old books and tells six-year-old jokes and thinks they're hilarious and watches six-year-old TV. And because he's a firstborn child, he's been having healthy meals three times a day, and, and he goes to the museum, and he's, you know, all of these things. But nothing in his world goes beyond the horizon of a six-year-old. But he is sitting next to a six-year-old. And you can't tell by looking at him, but he lives in a 16-year-old world because he's the youngest of four. And this youngest of four lives in a 16-year-old world, watches 16-year-old TV, and, you know, 
understands the 16-year-old jokes. So he's coming to school with a whole different body of information. And that's just a reality of life. And so what this what this one darling six-year-old is aware of in the world is a whole different set of understanding than the firstborn six-year-old. So if you don't want that other six-year-old to tell your child, if you want the power as the parents, if you want the power of the first impression, then we suggest that you undertake explaining a lot more than maybe you were, you would have originally intended because these questions will come sooner than you think because of the school setting. Is that logical? Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it does. I was just wondering if you had any more steps after this. No, uh, but I want to give a sample conversation because parents want to know, so how in the world would you explain this to a young child? How did that baby get in there? Mm -hmm. And what I want them to know is that the last thing I would ever want to do is over-sensualize a child. And so um, what we're going, what we would suggest that they do is to get it to the very basic biology, the most basic biology. And we're not really going to engage the emotions or the pleasures or the dangers or any of the sort of peripheral things. We're just going to sort of give the mechanics of how that happens, along with vocabulary from your your message. So, for example, um, Dave and I, our message was sex is a gift from God intended for marriage. So with a young child who might say, Mommy, how did that baby get in there? I would say, sweetheart, that's a great question. I'm so glad you asked. You know, um, it's pretty amazing, but by God's design— a husband and a wife were made to fit together in a very special way. Now, there is a seed that's deep inside of daddy, and it meets with the egg that's deep inside of mommy when they fit together in this way. And that's what God uses to start the baby, the seed from daddy and the egg from mommy. Okay. Okay. So that would be like, that would be an answer that you could give, I feel like, to a very young child. It's not very specific, is it? And it's, but it's sort of mechanically correct. All you're really doing is opening this big, heavy book called Sex. And for me and our family and what we wanted to present, we're just introducing the characters. Here's God. Here's a husband. Here's a wife. Here's a seed. Here's an egg. And they fit together. Now, children can be very curious. I'm sure as a child as smart as you are, you were very curious. And so it may not be that long before a curious child will say, well, what do you mean fits together in a special way? And so once again, you can say, well, I'm so glad you asked me. You know, it's pretty incredible. But do you remember how I told you that there was a seed inside of daddy and an egg inside of mommy? Well, in order for them to meet, the husband places his penis inside of the wife's vagina. Then the the seed travels through the penis and meets with the egg that's deep inside of the mommy. And that's physically how that happens. So I know that's a difficult sentence to say for parents. I don't act like it's not. But it is It is the basic biology. And it is also, um, it's, a, it's a description of what God calls one flesh. Mm-hmm. And so after you have explained that to, to them, you do want to say, this is something that God designed so that 
parents could be one flesh, is what he calls it, and also so that they could be fruitful and multiply, which is what his his desire was in the in the garden. So in the world, a doctor would call that sexual intercourse. That's a long word, so we've just shortened it to the word sex. And it's a it's a conversation that parents have with their children, so it wouldn't be appropriate for you to go to school and talk about this. If other people do talk about it, you have my permission to either walk away from the conversation or just to say, my parents already told me about this. But it's not something that would be appropriate for you to discuss at school or in your carpool or with other people. But it's a parent-child mm-hmm. um, conversation. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of that's kind of the foundation, Nick. Just starting with your message, then your vocabulary, birth, reproduction, and conception. Mm-hmm. It seems so many times that we get so many contrasting attitudes Mm -hmm. about sex. In the church culture, sex is this shameful thing that we shouldn't really talk about. I mean, the old joke is, when I was growing up, I was taught two things about sex. Number one, it's dirty. Number two, I should save it for someone I love. (laughs) Then when we get to the world... Well, they don't seem to have any shame whatsoever talking about sex. What's going on? I mean, I think both attitudes are wrong somewhere, you know? I I think you're absolutely right. Neither of those are a biblical expression of sex. Mm -hmm. Sex in the culture, and I'm borrowing from Dr. Tim Keller, but I could not agree more. Um, Sex in the culture is a consumer item. And basically, you're always looking for an upgrade, and it's it's something that if you want, you can get, and and then you're done with it. Um, that's not biblical. No one celebrates our sexuality more than God. I mean, that's uh, so. It's also not dirty or wrong, and um, I don't think the church is being biblical when it does not follow um, God's enthusiasm. So it's. It's something that we need to redeem uh, from both of those worldviews and reclaim as the biblical view. And a high view of sex would save it for marriage, would put it in a covenant, would say it's too beautiful to be a consumer item and it's too beautiful to be thought of as dirty. But it is it is um, it is a covenant. Um, it, it, it should be always within a covenant because you should not give your whole body unless you're giving your whole self. Yeah. I think it's great. Like you mentioned, but church doesn't really have the enthusiasm, but they should, because usually a lot of times we just get the no, no, no messages. When I was in college and listeners of a show, I've heard this story before, but I was in Bible college, and I went to my church when even they were doing the silver ring thing, which is mm-hmm. like true love weights and stuff. Right. And the associate pastor got up, and he gave a talk to the people there who were participating, the young people in the ceremony and such. And he said, you know, I want you to know that if you have sex before you get married, it's going to be for selfish reasons. Okay. I can agree with that. And he mm-hmm. said... Now, think about what would happen if you got pregnant. What if you got an STD? What about the shame you would face the next day? What about what you would have to tell 
someone else on your wedding night. You have to tell them about their nothing first. What about and those kinds of things? And I'm seeing back there listening. I'm I'm wanting to raise my hand and say, excuse me, Pastor, those sound like pretty selfish reasons to me as well. And overall, as I was seeing back there listening, it was just this kind of talk. I was getting bored. And I've told people, if you are talking in the church about sex and you have a college age guy in the audience and he is getting bored, you are doing it wrong. (laughs) Nick, that is great. That's so true. It is. That's very true. You know, I think it is something that the church Mm -hmm. should be. We have a great story to tell and we have nothing to be ashamed of about biblical sex. And so the fact that we're not training parents to do this or that we're not moving forward, considering we've had these two huge tectonic plate kind of revolutions, both in technology and in the sexual revolution, and the church has been pretty silent about all that and the, the prolifer- proliferation of pornography and the, the just the... Um, how many things have gone awry because of our silence? I think we have got to get ahead of this topic. I mean, or at least catch up. <laughs> you know, we've, uh, we're recording this on October 8th, and we all know what's in the news today. It's all about Donald Trump's remarks about 11 or so years ago. And I think that's kind of an example we come up that maybe we wouldn't be in this position if the church hadn't stayed silent about its message for so long. But lo and behold, this is where we are today, and everyone's saying all of a sudden, talk about sex matters again. Who knew? But there are a lot of parents in kind of uncomfortable positions thinking they do have to explain terms and such they haven't heard before. I mean, what can we say to these parents having to face this today? Well, if if you're a parent... And you've never had conversations with your child about sex, but they're now hearing things in the culture that you want to explain to them. Then what I would do is I would say, okay, guys, we're going to, we're going to start having conversations about sex, but I don't, but what's in the news today is not the first impression I want us to have of our first conversation about sex. So we're we're going to get to that, but we're going to get to that next week. This week, let's open our Bible. Let's open our minds. Let's let's think about what it is. I want you to understand what it is and what it isn't, what it should be and what it shouldn't be, and what it um what it was what it was designed to be. And I once again, I know I'm probably talking to people of faith. I'm assuming that from your audience, but I also know that um, this is true for people who, you know, just have never happened to have this conversation. It's not good to only approach your children in a reactive mode because you're reacting to the news, you're reacting to a story, um, but instead say, I need to build a grid into which we can speak about this topic. Mm-hmm. And I, and so for your benefit, I want to start, I don't want this to be our starting point. So we're going to back it up. I apologize as your parents if we did not, you know, handle this sooner than we could have. But we're going to start now. We're going to now um, start to build a foundation of conversations. And this will be part of it. 
but I'd like to do a little groundwork first. Something that is kind of incidental what you were saying, but I would like to speak on a little bit is that you said we should talk about this, you know, I'm sorry, such, but I think something we have to keep in mind that is that no parent is going to bat a thousand when talking to kids about sex. There's going to be mistakes. Absolutely. No one does it perfectly. No one does. That's not, it will never happen. <laughs> I certainly did. We certainly didn't do it perfectly. I can, if I, I wish I could pull my children up here and they could tell, even though they're, they're all married and have children and we're just so grateful, but they, they would laugh and say, Oh my goodness. I know she was trying, but she didn't do it perfectly. So I think one of our expressions in, um, that my partner who, in, who does these classes with me that we say a lot is, um, that we're doing this purposefully, but not perfectly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you got to not worry about that. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking about also when I'm talking about young children, for instance, is a, I happen to have Asperger's, which puts me on the autism spectrum. Mm-hmm. And my wife now has it as a way. I mean, I say now because she wasn't in the picture until just about a year or two before we got married and such. Or actually just a year before we moved very quickly. But anyway, back when I was much, much younger and I got in kindergarten and got out, my mother and my father weren't sure if I was ready for first grade yet. Mm-hmm. So they put me in transition, which is in kind of in-between class. Mm-hmm. But in order to do that, I had to be transferred to another school that actually had that class. And the elementary school I'd been at, my mother worked at that school. So she was like, okay, I can keep an eye on him here. It's not going to be a problem and such. And But then here we are going to another school, and it's about half an hour away. And she's saying, okay, I can't keep an eye on him here. I hope things work out for him. And she's told me the story. I don't remember it. But uh, she said, so that she showed up the first day to pick me up in her car there and just hoped I was doing well. When I was walking out to her car, I had two girls walking beside me, one on each side, both of them carrying different things of mine. And she said, well, I think he's going to do okay. (laughs) <laughs> the, the point I gave us is, as what I'd tell people is, my first crush that I don't know of actually happened in transition. And I think many of us know about accounts of puppy love and yes. such. What's a parent to do if their kid comes home with a case of puppy love? Well, um, you know, I will have parents. I remember parents coming up to me with my three-year-old in the stroller and saying, do you have a boyfriend? You know, (laughs) sometimes the pressure on them to like someone comes from the outside, but also sometimes they just do have that little puppy love, um, crush. And, um, I think what we want to do is talk to them about how wonderful it is that we have these friends and that we have people we enjoy being with. That's called fellowship. We have, you know, we enjoy one another. Sometimes there's one person in particular that we particularly enjoy being with. And because we enjoy being with them, we have to make sure everyone's comfortable being together. So we don't want to crush them with our hugs. We don't want to overdo it. Um, We just want to 
be their friends. And in being their friends, we want to care about them and we want to do and think about what is best. So I would say, you know, I wouldn't call it love or ask them if they're going to get married. You know, I wouldn't turn it into something mature. I would just recognize it as a sweet little joy of childhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think I also should mention that it's probably very different in talking to boys about this than when talking to girls. I mean, the main thing I'm thinking the differences with boys, for instance, are boys are the ones that usually turn out to be the ones who are most aggressive. I don't mean violently aggressive and such, but we're the, we're the go-getters. We're the ones that tend to want it the most. Yeah. And so, so what, what do you say to a young boy specifically about sex? And should it be the mother or the father who says it or both? Whether it's the father of them or the mother. And I think you have to just be really aware of your family dynamics. Um, it would be ideal, I suppose, for, for both parents to be able to talk to any child. There are some things that dad might understand more and be able to speak into for his son. Certainly that's true. And same with moms and daughters. But I think the um, mother-son, father-daughter relationship is very vital for, you know, so both need to speak into their children's lives about all of this. But sometimes there's a parent that's very uncomfortable and the uh, the parent that is more comfortable in some, doing all the talking and the other parent is just sitting there. And that's okay too. There was one dad, Nick, who just could not bring himself to talk to his, I think he had three daughters. He kind of couldn't bear to bring himself to actually have verbal conversations with them, but he had a heart full of things he wanted them to know. So he bought his daughters beautiful boxes and he would write letters to them. And some of them had to do with, you know, a lot of them had to do with boy-girl relationships with sex. Some of them had, but he wanted to communicate with them, but he didn't feel like he could do it comfortably verbally. And he didn't feel like he could say what he really wanted to say. He was more of a writer. Mm -hmm. So these girls grew up, you know, every once in a while, there would be a letter in their box from their dad. And, and they felt like they got everything they needed from him of an understanding. So I want parents to know there's not just one way to do this. You can just think through the best way for your family. The important thing is to give it a try. Um, but what you were talking about with, with boys maybe being more aggressive, one thing I, I would say, or uh, you used the word aggressive, but then you, you kind of changed it to more the pursuing one. Yes. Um, I would just, I would say that with a young man who is, you know, has a crush or has someone he would love to be spending more time with. It's, it's just important that he understand that he needs to be very respectful to that person and that his job is really to protect her. He needs to use those energies in a protective way towards that person. You should always return that girl to her home, to her family in, in better shape than she was given to you, you know, that you, your job is really to protect this young woman. And if you care about her, that will be, you know, your main goal. So sometimes got, people just need their minds sort of reoriented. But I will tell you, Nick, with the cell phones and the sexting that is, oh, yes. um, we are finding, and it's been going on for some time, but the maturity, girls sometimes mature before boys in the middle school years. And the middle school years, 
and the high school years are not my specialty. I'm mainly parents of young children, but I still do a lot of reading for the, you know, and, and also just understanding just living in this world. The, that the girls are actually, when they get to a mature point, are being much more aggressive than the boys. Right. And I'm hearing from these mothers of middle schoolers that it dances. Girls will go up to boys and just put their bodies all over them in a very arousing way. And they think either they've seen it in a, in a music video or something, but they're mimicking something very sensual to what these mothers of boys say is just the boys aren't even ready for that yet. They're not, they're not ready. So mm-hmm. it's, um, the aggressive or the pursuing is really on both sides. And because they can do it via a phone, they feel like they haven't really done it. There, there's a sense of being anonymous. And so there's a, there are just so many dynamics that are out there right now. Before we switch to talking to girls and such, as a man, that's something I always try and stress. I mean, I've got a good friend who's going to be getting married to his lady in December. And he's actually said, you know, looking at you and how you treated Ari, it's kind of been my martyr. Oh. And I've said when I went to, uh, to date my wife, she lived in Atlanta at the time, and I lived in Charlotte. Now, we both live in Atlanta together. And I got in touch with the parents and said, I want you to know I'm coming here, and I'd like to see your daughter, things of that sort. When I came to see them, it was always, until they said otherwise, it was Mr. Lacona, Mrs. Lacona, over and over again, until they said, call me. Michael, call me Debbie. And mm. to this day still, when I get take out anywhere, I I uh, go open the car door for her first, get her in. Now, there are some cases where I'll go through the door first before she wear, but that's usually because, not that I'm trying to be rude, but because I want to make sure there's nothing on the other side that's going to hurt her. And people who watch my Facebook page know that Aside from Sundays when I don't post, I post something about loving my wife every single day of the week. And people, if they start and say, sometimes it gets annoying and things like that, I say, well, I guess you're going to have to be annoyed because I am not changing it whatsoever. And if anyone dares go after her unjustly, I think a lot of people on Facebook know by now, sit back. Get some popcorn out. Enjoy the show. This is going to be a good one because once he <laughs> finds out, he is not going to let it go. And in fact, when I took Ari to meet my parents, we ended up having to stay overnight. Definitely not in the same room, of mm-hmm. course. But I emailed her parents first, told them what was happening, what the arrangements would be, and asked for their permission before doing anything. Guys, this is just... This is just common sense, I think, what you should do, that you always treat the lady in your life just like that, a lady. And to this day, I still call her my princess, always. I, 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 I was once speaking to a group of middle school girls and talking about some of the projects, and I said, and my, my princess is back there, and every girl knew it, all of a sudden. <laughs> Well, go ahead. 
see what great modeling that will be, Nick, for your family. Mm -hmm. Because you will not only, if you have a house full of girls someday, Lord willing, Mm -hmm. they will see that that's what they should expect. Mm -hmm. And if you have a house full of boys, they'll see that's how they're expected to, um, to be, is very respectful and treasuring, you know, what you believe God has brought together, treasuring that. So it's, that's what I think is, there's so much of that that is lost in our culture, but it is not, you know, it, it still exists. Obviously look at you Mm -hmm. and, and there are, um, ways that we can bring this back. You know, we're not, um, it's just, but it's family by family. Obviously when you were a, a young boy, you know, certain expectations were given to you to be a gentleman and there's just nothing more endearing to a woman than a gentleman. So yeah, you talk about talking girls. Said, uh, last weekend we didn't have a show because Allie and I went to Anime Weekend Atlanta. She really loves anime, and her parents gave her a gift of Gingo. They paid for our ways and such. And yes, people out there on in Internet Land, I love doing the show, but I love her more. And she comes first. And I said, I'm not going to do my show this week because I want you to have a time. Now, they had a panel there. It was Ask an Anime Character. You have this big auditorium, and there's a screen that's got 15 characters. And the voice actors are off stage and such, so you never get to see them. But, their image, but the images of the characters they voice show up from time to time in certain positions from their shows, asking, answering questions and such. And mm. something I noticed is so many voices that were women would raise their hand and ask to speak to a male character and say things like, can I be your princess today? Can you tell me I'm beautiful? Would you be my boyfriend? Would you go to prom with me? Things of that sort. And I think, you know, this is, it's really kind of sad because I think these are women who are wanting to hear this kind of thing, and they're not hearing it anywhere, and they're having to hear it from a fictional character mm-hmm. instead. Uh, are we getting at something of a heart of a woman hearing those kinds of questions? Well, um, there was a survey, um, and I wish I could quote it. I'll try to find it for you. Um, of ch- uh, I want to say children, but young people who had um, engaged in um, or they had their their sexual debut was early and before marriage is what I will say, and they were asked if they regretted it or if they were glad that this was something that they did, and so on the side of the ones that regret it, and most of them did regret it. Most of them wished they had not had that experience, and then they said, "Well, why did you enter into this experience?" And that for the girls. The answer was because I wanted to be made to feel special. And so I think that's what you're hearing in those women to be made to feel special. Um, And so, but then that needs to be defined because, you know, what does that mean to be made to feel special? But I do think this is where fathers take their daughters on daddy dates. They treat them very special. They do something that is just like you did last week that, you know, they'll enjoy doing you, um, you open the door for them. You, you show them 
you know, you ask them to order what they want to at Chick-fil-A and you bring it to them. You put a little flower in a, you know, in a bouquet for her. You make her feel, feel very special. And this is, you know, kind of daddy dates. I remember my husband would take the girls on daddy dates and they thought that was the most wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, I do think there's a longing, yes, to be made to feel very special. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm thinking also about, we see this with uh, young women that my, my wife was just watching the other day. They had a series on about the case of Jean Benet Ramsey, again, who, as we all know, was a very, very young, about six year old beauty pageant contestant. Right. And it starts at a young age. I've been told my own sister at four was drawing out wedding designs for herself. And there's a reason young girls like these fairy tales with Prince Charming coming and waking them up and such. Well, you know, I, I also, I, I feel like, even though I know it's so sweet that you call your wife, your princess, and that's appropriate. But I am a little bit fearful of raising a generation of girls who think that they're, they really are a princess. <laughs> you know, I, I want to raise, I want girls to know their, I want, I like to point out the strength of the princess characters, their strength of character. I want girls to know that they, um, that their true prince is the Lord and he is the only one we can really look to. And, that uh, is the Prince of Peace. So there, there is there is an element in our culture that goes, I think, way over to beauty pageants when they're young and over over emphasizing their looks and their pink and their frills and their you know all of that. Because there are a lot of girls out there that want to be Superman when it comes to you know because he just looks like he's doing something fun and they want to fly. It's not that they're trying to dress like a boy. I think we're being too narrow in our definition that if you're not wearing pink and want to wear a tiara, then you're not very girly. And, and I think, you know, reading books about, um, I don't know, like Helen Keller or reading biographies of women that have had to have a very strong, a, a, a deep strength. There's a strength in, in mothers and in, um, in women. So yes, there's a lot of ways to be feminine and a lot of ways to be, um, uh, the strong, what, strong women in the Bible. I think some of the caricature princesses have great, like I love Belle because she loves books, you know? Oh, so yes. I, I like to talk about the characters that have character qualities. You know, one thing, Nick, that we have, um, that we advocate is a weekend away when, when children are about a year before the onset of puberty to take a day or two away Maybe borrow someone's apartment or lake house or something, you know, where you can kind of have some time with your daughter or your son and talk about how they're about to change physically and emotionally and all the things that they're about to encounter and and start to to talk about that. But and we have a list of things that are, are suggestions for what you can do for that weekend away. And one of them is to, for example, ask your son, what are the best characteristics you can think of for a friend like what what make what makes a good friend and have them write those down so they may say well they like the same things that I do we we laugh at the same jokes um but then say well like on a deeper level so well they're they're loyal they're trustworthy they respect my opinion 
they're um, loyal. I don't, I don't know. You just think of things that would make a very good companion, a good friend. And then go to the top of that page and write girl in front of the word friend. So to tell them this is what you need to be looking for in a girlfriend. And I don't see the word hot anywhere on there. You know, it's you're basically looking to spend time with this person. And yes, you want to be attracted to them and you will be attracted to them. But on the other side of it, you also need to know this needs to be someone that you're mutual in your respect and in your pursuits and someone that enjoys the same things that you do. I agree entirely. At the same time, also, I do think it's important for a man to be praising their wife's beauty at the same time. One thing I like to talk about is when we lived in Knoxville, there was an organization that had, in conjunction with Johnny and Friends, a Miss Shining Star beauty pageant. And this is a beauty pageant for women with disabilities. And my wife got an invitation to participate in this. And she was like, I I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I've been told so many bad things all my life. What if I go and lose? Why don't you just enter and see what happens? And my sister came to help her out. She, my sister is a beautician. We had months to prepare and such. And my mother took her shopping for some good clothes and, my sister worked on her hair, got all prettied up when the night came and such. And there was also a talent competition, and there were four different categories in the Miss Shining Star pageant based on age, with the final one being the ultimate Miss Shining Star. These were the older women on the, on the stage. Mm-hmm. And I had noticed a pattern. Everyone who won the talent division was winning also the main the main division that they were in, like Little Miss Shining Star, whoever won talent, won Little Miss Shining Star also. And I think, oh my gosh, Ari didn't win the talent competition. But mm-hmm. she she was the only one also who was married on stage, which you know, the Q&A, that's what they asked her about. And I'm sitting there watching this whole thing and thinking, oh my gosh, she didn't win the talent competition. That means that, that if, a, if a pad on holds, She's not going to win this overall. And I've been so hoping she went. Someone else would recognize her beauty. Well, to tell how the story ended, when I went to see my parents that evening, I opened the door and said, here is Miss Shining Star 2013. Oh, that's so great. Honestly, it gets me teary-eyed still thinking about it. I mean, she... I said, you were crying more than I was that evening. (laughs) Yeah. And, I mean, it, it, it's a fine line that men have to walk through. They need to tell their women that they're beautiful. I mean, I've got a picture of my wife right here that I'm looking at from time to time. I mean, yep, I married a beautiful woman. But they need to go and say, but that's not the only part because beauty does change over time. It, beauty, outer beauty does, and, and inner beauty grows. And... I think um, especially I would say to parents of middle school girls when they are awkward and changing, it's important that you do tell them how beautiful they are, but, but also the beauty of their character. You know, you, you have such an ability to find things that you can compliment them 
that they know are, are true about themselves because an, a middle school girl may not feel beautiful, but when daddy says, honey, you are so beautiful, that is so important. But also to let them know our relationship is not based on what you look like. You know, our, I admire you because you, um, because you pursue things that are so noble or you help your friends when they're down or you didn't give up when you didn't do well in that class at first. You kept trying, and now look, you've gotten a better grade. You, you are, um, uh, we had a daughter who was dyslexic, and she worked so hard at her reading. And um, she would, you know, we got her an overhead projector like a teacher has, and she would just write it and put her vocabulary words up on the wall in her bedroom and work and work and work at, at learning that. So, we admired her perseverance and her, you know, her strength of character as much as, and she was beautiful, but we, it was, she loved hearing that we admired things about her. And the same with our sons, they have to know, you know, they just need those affirming, you know, how much you respect how they did what was right. Mm -hmm. Before we go to the next question, because we're getting to the the halfway point of our show, so I'm just going to go ahead and make announced about who's going to be on the show next week. And that's some, it's actually someone I've already mentioned on the show this week. And one of my favorite guests to have on, trying to have him on at least once a year. And you ever wonder about the Gospels? You know, you read these stories and think, okay, these are good stories and such, but are they very true? Are they reliable? And that's the question we're going to be talking about next week. All the Gospels reliable, and in the studio over here, we're actually on Skype for the computer that I've got here. We're going to have one of the two people I can look to in this world and call Dad. My father-in-law, Mike Lacona, is coming back to the show again, and we're going to be talking about Gospel reliability. So, if you want to hear about the reliability of the Gospels, tune in next week to hear Mike Lacona talking about it, and we're working up something special for a week after, hoping we can get that done. Now, now I, I think it's important you did mention the girls' bodies are going to be changing, and generally, that tends to happen before the boys do. So, h- how can women prepare their, or, or in fact, fathers as well, prepare their daughters for what's going to happen to their bodies and how they should treat their bodies. Because, frankly, when I look at culture, women's bodies tend to get a lot more verbal talk than men's bodies do. Yes, you're right about that. Um, well, as far as how their bodies are about to change, I think it is important um, before they do start their menstrual cycle for, um, I, I guess I would say, you know, if you're a single dad and you've got a house full of girls, you can do this because you've already been able to do everything. So, but generally, I would say this is a time when, when moms can um, let their daughters know that they their body is about to um, transition, and it will be from a, a child to a woman, and that women are capable of um, conceiving and bearing children. And so that process is starting to dawn, is starting to develop, and um, you know, you, you just be very medical with them and let them know that, you know, medically, this is when your pituitary gland starts to send different signals to other parts of your body. And, um, you have 
eggs in your body in the ovaries and that once a month or about every 26 days, an egg will leave the ovary and come into the fallopian tube. And then um, it will go through the fallopian tube and settle in your uterus. And so, you know, you might want to have a picture or a a diagram or something. And then the lining of the uterus, which contains a lot of blood and nutrients that are there in case that egg gets fertilized. So it's all, God gets everything ready in case there is a baby. But when the egg is not fertilized, then the egg and all of that lining, that thickened lining of the uterus leaves the body and it comes out through the vagina. Um, For some girls, this lasts five days, for some three, for some seven, it it varies. Uh, And their reaction to all of that varies also um, in that some are uncomfortable physically, some are emotionally a little bit rocky at that time. And until you start this process, we won't really know what your reaction is. So I don't want to taint it by telling you it's going to be terrible or it's no big deal because it could be any of those things. And so we'll just find out together what it's like for you. But um, I've gone to the store and I've purchased all these products and I'm going to put them in a basket in your bathroom and I'm going to show you how they work because these products will help you keep um, your clothes clean during this process and allow you to move around and and just go on with your life while this happens. You don't have to just sit in one place and wait till it's over. And um, and this is called a menstrual cycle or your period. And it's a very normal part of your growing up. Um, and But I want you to let me know when this happens because I want to talk to you about it some more. So, But basically, if you don't say anything and then they start their period and then they don't know what has happened to them and they don't know where to go for help, You know, you've left them in a very awkward situation. And a lot of times they cover this at school. You know, they'll talk about it. But sometimes girls start before that talk at school. So you have to be sensitive to your daughter's developing body. You have to ask your pediatrician, where do you think we are on this, you know, on this journey? Do you think we're a year away? Because some things happen that can kind of be signals that, that this is about to happen. Maybe they grow three shoe sizes or Um, you know, there can be things that they're having this huge growth spurt and it may not be actually at age 12, you know, it may be nine or, or something like that. So you've got, you've got to kind of be aware and just you, you, what, what teenagers and preteens appreciate is when parents anticipate what's coming up, you know, well, you're going to spend the night camp. So let's talk about that. Or, well, you know, this is going to be your first dance. Let's talk about that. What do you think about that? You know, instead of just saying, instead of saying nothing and letting it all be defined by the culture. You know, we're going to go buy a prom dress. Let's let's think about how um, this doesn't need to look like a nightgown, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think with girls also, now you have to buy them the equipment that's hygienic and such. You have yeah. to take them shopping for new clothes. Now, what about when when a parent has to do that? Especially, I'm sure it's especially awkward if a guy has to do that for his daughter. It's a little bit awkward if dads, you know, go in there and buy feminine hygiene products for their for their daughters. But if you're a single dad, you're used to doing those awkward things, so it's not the worst thing that could happen. 
and you're going to be very close to your daughters. You're going to want to know how you can help them. And maybe at some point you've gotten an aunt involved in their life or, you know, a grandmother, somebody that thing that can do that for them or, you know, have some conversations with them. I think, um, other human resources are very important as you're raising your children, whether it's your daughter's Bible study leader or your son's counselor, you know, at camp or something. There are there are other people that can care about your children. And especially as a single parent, you might be looking for people that you really trust, that that hold your same values, that could join you in this journey. What I'm also thinking about, though, is here is an episode I remember seeing a clip for an advertisement of an sh- episode of a Seventh Heaven with the younger, youngest daughter and family coming up to her dad and saying, hey, yeah, yeah, mom says you need to take me shopping for a bra. Okay, that's got to be pretty awkward for a dad. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> that's when you have to say, okay, well, we're going to find a store that has a woman who can help you in the dressing room. I will drive you there and I will pay for it, but I have no idea. And I don't think you'd want me to be in the dressing room with you. So that's when you call around and you find one with a, you know, an established reputation as being a good store. And you go in and, and you you say, my daughter is shopping for a bra and I really don't know how to help her, but I'm going to sit over here and I'll be right here. And if I could trust you know, you to help her, that would be great. So, or, or take, like I said, take a friend, um, a, a trusted aunt or favorite older cousin or something like that. Yeah, Mary, and when you were growing up, it was awkward enough, I'm sure, to talk about relationships between boys and girls and such. But in today's culture, elementary schoolers even I was trying to get a lot more than that as now you're reading books like a Heather has two mommies or the red crayon who thinks it's blue or things of that sort. And I mean, what do we do when about these kinds of issues with young children? Well, um, there are parts of it that are very difficult and complicated to explain. Um, and that's one reason why I think for, um, for families that are where there is a daddy and a mommy and they want to explain that, uh, I think it's important for them to understand heterosexual sexual relations before they understand um, homosexual relations. The Bible deals with all of it. In, and um, we all uh, one thing that I've noticed that's so interesting to me about Jesus is that when he encounters someone engaged in sexual sin, he moves toward that person and not away from them. The woman at the well, um, he was, that was the first time he, that was the first person he told that he was the Messiah. And it was a special conversation, certainly one that um, we learned so much from, but he didn't, he didn't reject her because of her sexual brokenness, because of what her sexual past was. And, um, so I think we need to heed his example and, um, always be even speaking in any kind of, whenever we talk about the way that people have left what God originally designed, which is basically all of us, (laughs) you know, we've, we've all decided to do things our own way in some aspect of our life. And so, and that's called our sin. So when we are explaining the way someone else left the way God designed it to be for their own way, 
we need to explain it, but not defame that person, not dehumanize that person. Is that making sense? Yes. So it's um, important to me to be able to say, this is not the, the oneness and fruitfulness that God originally designed it to be. But these, and these two women are, who are raising this child or these two men who are raising this child, I'm sure they love their child and I'm sure they're good parents or I assume they're good parents. But one thing I don't want you to be confused about when you're explaining this to your own children is I'm sure you don't, I, I don't want you to be confused about something. Two men cannot make a baby and two women cannot both be the mommy. There's not a way for two eggs or two seeds to create a child. So somewhere, whether it was in a Petri dish or whether, you know, somewhere there was a seed and an egg that created that baby. So somewhere there was a man or somewhere there was a woman and a uterus. So there's a part that each family is going to have to kind of figure out, what do I want my children to think about homosexuality? And so those will be your family values about that. But then, regardless, I don't think any of us want our children growing up confused that this could happen biologically. Mm. When we're talking about this with uh, children, we've been talking about, well, talking pretty much. Is it proper to ever use illustrations with us, pictures and things of that sort? I think so. And I think um, there is a series of books written by Stan and Brenna Jones, and it's called God's Design for Sex, and it's a series of four books. And it does follow the same pattern that I'm talking about here today. In, the, in, the, in that, they, uh, the first book is about birth, and the second book is about conception. So they, they follow the birth story first. And so the first birth story, the first book, and it's illustrated for children, is, is um, about birth, and it's for three- to five-year-olds. And the conception one is five- to eight-year-olds. And then they have books for, you know, nine to 11 and 11 to 13, or, you know, they take you up into the preschool years. I recommend them for people who are believers because I think the way they discuss this and the way, and and I think their illustrations are um, very respectful. But of course you would, I would encourage any parent, you read it first. You see if you're happy with that illustration in your, in your child's mind. And, um, but that is, those are books that I think are helpful and good to read to children. Then there's also a book out there called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures, which is a way to read to your children about um, kind of preparing them for pornography. And Nick, the average age right now for viewing pornography is age 11. So so that means if that's the average, there are a lot of eight and nine-year-olds viewing pornography. And the average time length that that first view is is 30 minutes. That's a pretty extended view of probably very graphic pornography for a very at a very young age. So warning our children about pornography is so challenging. But you know that is basically like pouring acid on their brain <laughs> on this subject. And I don't laugh because that's funny. I laugh because it's just I didn't I wasn't laughing. I was just sort of sighing. But it's very um, it's. It's really very, you know, kids 
10-year-olds, 8-year-olds have cell phones and they're, they can get on the internet and pornography sites are connecting themselves to children's games. Parents think it's fine. They're just playing a game. But if they click on a certain uh, cookie of the game, then it leads them right into a por- pornography site. This is really very scary. And it's not just a boy problem. Either girls can get caught in the world of pornography as well. That's absolutely true. And it's on the rise for girls. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, there is a wonderful uh, website called Fight the New Drug. And it's uh, really done, uh, created by young people opposing pornography and giving statistics about how horrific it is. And then there's also um, something called Covenant Eyes. You may have heard of that. And I think those are two good resources for parents. You know, I've uh, spoken to Luke Gilkerson, but as he runs Covenant Eyes, I hope to have him on the show sometime. Another great reference is Triple X Church. And, in fact, the guy who runs that, Craig Gross, recently wrote a book well, probably within the past year or so with, uh, with <clears throat> oh gosh, her name is escaping me. I think Shanti Feldhorn. Yeah, and yeah. It, it's called Through a Man's Eyes. And I read that book and I thought, oh my gosh, this is exactly what it is like through a man's eyes. <laughs> well, that's good. Tell me again. I want to know that book. Triple X Church. Yes, the guy who runs it is called, his name is Craig Gross. And okay. they got a filter that you can use. And then he he co-wrote this with Shanti Ferdhorn, who puts out a whole lot of good marriage material. And the book is called Through a Man's Eyes and describes the world as it is seen through the eyes of a man. And many a man can read this book and think, how the heck did Shanti Ferdhorn get inside my head and see what was going on? <laughs> That's so good to know. Yes, that would probably be helpful for maybe mothers of boys. Yes. Now, something we can also ask is that uh, sometimes what will happen with young children is their parents will realize their children are playing doctor as it was. And it's when they're at an incredibly young age, they're not trying to be sexual, they're just really noticing the difference. What can a parent say if if they find out their kid is playing doctor? Well, I think there, um, first of all, that I, it, it, it is alarming when you first walk in and see that the kids are playing doctor or they, you know, they've hidden themselves in a closet and are doing things and you think what, you know, it's, it's upsetting to the parents, but if you can possibly gain your composure and be calm and say, as you're putting their clothes back on, um, you know, at, at our house, we keep our clothes on. And if you want to grow up and be a doctor, that's very interesting and good. But we're going to play doctor with all of our clothes on, and we're going to give shots in the arm and bandages on the fingers. But we're not going to um, – We in our house, we're so respectful of everyone and their feelings and their bodies and their minds. And so to stay that way, we're going to keep our clothes on. So And also have a general rule of when we play in our house, 
I need to be able to be sure everyone's being safe. So we keep our doors open and we don't go in closets. Um, then another thing I think is to let children know that we don't, um, keep secrets. Like a, a lot of times if there's been some sort of abuse, the person who is abusing the child will say, now this is a secret and you can't tell your mommy or daddy, or they'll be very angry with you. And they use that as a way to keep it a secret right. and so let your children know if anyone asks you to keep something a secret, that doesn't mean that you don't tell mommy and daddy. You tell mom, you know, we can't have secrets because we need to know how to keep you safe. And we've got lots of ways to do that. And we will never be angry with you when you tell us anything, you know, that is going on. So if you ever, if you ever are asked to keep a secret and that secret as you're keeping it makes you sad or angry or upset, come to me as fast as you can and let me know what that is. If, if it's a surprise, if, it, if daddy comes home and says, I've got a nice surprise for mommy, shh, don't tell her. Well, that's a surprise, and, and you're just keeping the surprise until I find out. But if it's a secret, then that, that needs to be shared with mommy or daddy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at this point, again, it's a little bit early, but the next question, I don't know how long it's going to take, so I'm going to make another early sort of announcement. And this is what I usually do at this time of the show. And that's let everyone know that what you do here, what we do here, it's listener supported. And we really need people like you to help out. Now, our website right now, as I'm recording this, is deeperwaters.ddns.net. It probably won't be that much longer. We have recently used some of our resources and bought deeperwatersapologetics.com. And we're working on transferring everything over. So hopefully, by the time this podcast comes out it will be all transferred over if not where well, you know where to go still but when you go to our site right now there's a link and again i'm speaking about where it's like right now i don't know how this is going to change when we get to a new site but it says i help support the work of deeper waters christian ministries now you click that and it takes you to the ministry of risen jesus have you gone in the right place? Yes, as I've said earlier, that's the ministry of my in-laws. And my mother-in-law happens to be a financial guru in these areas. So you make yeah, your donation, then you get in touch with me and say, hey, I made a donation. I want to go to Nick Peters. I want to go to Deeper Waters. And like someone did that with me earlier this week, that was excellent. And they will make sure I get that donation. And since it's done through them, it's tax deductible. And if you can be a monthly donor, that works even better. We also have books on Amazon that you can buy that I have either written or co-written. The one that I've written at this point is A Creed for the Ages, The Apostles Creed and Today's Christian. Others that I've co-written are Defining an Inerrancy or Groundless or God and Natural Disasters, a debate I did with an atheist. And then there's also jewelry. Now guys, as we've been talking about today, I mean, Mary's right. Not every girl is girly and such and likes to wear pink and have a tiara. But a lot of women do like jewelry a lot. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and if you want to get your lady something special, why not jewelry? And why not do it in a way that can promote a ministry? You can go to our website and go through the Premier Jewelers and my friend Lena Cluster handles all of that. And you make a purchase there, 
And whatever you purchase, you never know it's for deeper waters. Whatever you purchase, 25% of what you pay will go to deeper waters. So, guys, you can make up for that past screw-up you did with your lady. Or you can make up for that screw-up that I know you're going to do in the future. And also, I'd like to uh, let you know an opportunity from a friend of mine. My friend Brandon Jack has told me he wants to teach people basic Greek starting out. And you can find him on Facebook. If you can't find him, get in touch with me. I'll get you in touch with him. And his rates are very reasonable. But he said if anyone comes to him and mentions deeper waters, he will give him a free lesson in Greek. So if you're eager to learn New Testament Greek, take advantage of this opportunity. And guys, also, if you can't support us in any way, please at least go on iTunes, and leave a positive review of the Deeper Waters podcast. I really appreciate it. Now, Mary, do you have an organization or a charity you'd like to see people donate to? Yes, there is an organization called Elevate Youth, and it is a program. They, um, they have speakers and curriculum for middle school um, teachers, so it's elevateyouth.org, and it really is reaching out to teens in this sex-saturated culture and the people who teach those teens. Um, there's also an organization called Just Say Yes, and the Y-E-S stands for Youth Equipped to Succeed, and they do some, I think, some very good programs also. Um, I have a lot of other ministries that I like, but those two have been, they are both nonprofits that have been doing my bookings for the last 10 years, and I think they do solid work. And is it tax deductible? Yes. Okay. Yeah, they are tax deductible. Okay, so there is two more great ministries for you up there to support if you want to. Now, getting back up, one of the shows that I enjoyed watching, and we've got on Netflix, I've just never finished the series now, was I enjoyed watching House for a while. Yes. Mainly because I'm so sarcastic and I could relate very well to Dr. House. And he has a story. There was an episode where a mother brings in her daughter. says her daughter would just kind of sit and fidget and then she'll shake suddenly and then she'll smile. And House comes up with all these uh, Disney and Pixar expressions. Oh, it looks like she's been finding Nemo. And things of that sort. And turns out the young girl in this case, probably three, four, or five or so, had been pleasuring herself, as mm-hmm. it were. Now, this is something that little children are probably pretty prone to do. What's a parent to do in this case? Well, you're right. It's not unusual for children to do that. And really, at, at that young age, we kind of treat it a little bit like manners, just like we don't put our hands in our pants um, because, you know, there could that's it's moist and dark and that's where you go to the bathroom and that's where germs love to, you know, germs can be there, too. And it's not that it's a bad place. It's just that it's not it's it's not um, polite. But your hands in your pants when everyone is, you know right here. Just like we don't pick our nose. You know, there are just certain things that we learn in, in social settings are not appropriate. And, um, I don't think we need to shame them per se. 
also sometimes they are sort of just fidgety. And so giving them like if they're if they're watching TV and that's what they're doing, then just put something else in front of them that they could work on. Give them some Play-Doh, give them some Legos, give them some, you know, I know, sweetheart, that you do that when you're just relaxing. But really, we need to also realize that other people are in the room and we need to, you know, not that's distracting for other people. So let's play with this puzzle or let's find constructive things that they, that they can do. But as, as parents, you just kind of wean them off of that a little bit. I know I'm not trying to shame or anything like that. It's a natural curiosity, but it's kind of, this is, um, it does make other people uncomfortable. So it's kind of basically hands out of the pants. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, mothers have been especially prone to be concerned about their young boys in this area. I, I remember that uh, James Dobson said, talking about young teenagers and such, says, 98 to 99% of young boys have been known to engage in this practice, and the rest have been proven to lie. Yeah, I remember when he said that. Mm-hmm. I remember when he said that. And this is a this is a uh, topic of, of masturbation that is, you know, James Dobson gave some guidelines about that that I thought were very practical and um, but the other, but there's also an element in the Christian world that I, I'm, I'm, I tend to listen to also. Uh, a friend of mine is an RUF um, minister, Reformed University Fellowship, which is a college ministry. And so he is engaged in a very successful um, ministry at, um, I think it's at Old Miss. And um, we were talking because he's interested in the work that I do. And, and I said, how's it going? Like, how are, how are young men showing up at college? He said, it's a mess. It, I mean, you know, it, a mess in the fact that he said just uh, pornography has really um, done a number on this generation. And pornography with masturbation is just rampant. And I'm prone to teach them that this was never intended to be a selfish one-person act. And so even though it may happen and you don't need to have um, enormous amounts of shame about it, you need to not be, this needs to not be um, a a routine. You need to know that this is not the way this was intended to be. Mm -hmm. So um, whereas I felt like Dobson was sort of, you know, it's going to happen, so let's don't worry about it. I think, and maybe I'm being too, maybe I'm generalizing that too much, but I think we also need to know that if this carries on into marriage, it can be very, you know, it it can be sort of training someone to have sex in a certain way and already be, have that established before they've even met the person that they're going to be having one flesh with the rest of their life. So, you know, you've already come with a lot of experiences and a lot of images and it's, and you've already ha- have all these preferences. And, and so it's all very, um, you know, it can be bad training. So. Now, something you mentioned earlier was something about, uh, you mentioned something about watching television and such. What are you supposed to do if you're a parent and you got a young child and something comes on the television that's going to be very awkward and to explain? And I'm not talking about just watching sitcoms or anything. It can show up on the evening news. Yes, or on commercials. Yeah, you could be watching the Texas Rangers, and before you know it, there are two people rolling around in bed in, you know, in front of your children. Um, so basically, 
be ready to click away. Number one, (laughs) I remember one time we were watching just that we were watching a Texas Rangers program and, um, our game and a, a commercial for sex in the city came on in the middle of the game. And there were two people kind of rolling around and my husband had the clicker and he clicked away to the weather channel. And as he did, <laughs> I mean, he didn't do it in a frantic way. He was very calm about it. He just picked up the clicker and he said, I hope they're married. And then he clicked away to, um, uh, another channel. And then he said, but you know what, guys, that's really private. Other people shouldn't be watching. Mm-hmm. So he sort of just sent a very brief message that out of respect for that act, we shouldn't watch it and they shouldn't be showing it, but that it's okay in marriage. Like, I hope they're married. That would, that would be okay. But even, even if they were married, no one else should be watching. So, you know, just kind of be prepared and also just don't be afraid to say, okay, what you just saw was not the way things really are. It's important that we do live in a world that's pretty much a minefield, and I think it's especially so for men. I remember being in Tennessee once and walking through the mall, and here to the left coming my way, not directly towards me, but she'd be going past me, comes an attractive woman. So what do I do? I'm a good, respectful man, and my wife, I do the eyebrow, I look the other way. And the other way happens to be the front of Victoria's Secret. Right. Yep. Okay. A man can't escape any way we go. And that, that's just, that's why it's getting so much harder, I think, to raise up boys in this world because everything around them is pretty much charging their hormones. I agree. Well, I think it's important to make your son aware that he is visually responsive and, and that he was designed to be that way. You can go all the way back to Adam. That's what Adam said. Adam said, wow. And that's the way you were designed to be. And it's a good thing. It's not that, that part is, is not bad, but, um, you need to protect to the degree that you are able what that, you know, what goes in front of those eyes, because it's, it's almost, I don't want to say it's unerasable, but it's pretty, um, permanent ink, you know, that goes in there and right, exactly. And so, um, I, I just want to tell you that even though, you know, like if you compare it to, to food, you know, most of the time, sweetheart, mommy feeds you really good food. Every once in a while you see something or we eat something that's not that healthy, you know, or just have a little bit of junk food now and then. So, you know, sometimes you might walk through the mall and see something vaguely, you know, that maybe you shouldn't, I wish you wouldn't see, but it's there and it's the world and what can we do about it? But pornography is like me handing you poison. Like this is going to this is like pouring acid into your brain on this subject. It's going to so misshape your picture of what this is intended to be. Um, let me just tell you, for, it's hard to explain pornography to young children because uh, you just don't even want them to know it exists. But what you might want to do once you have explained sex is to um, think of what is one of their favorite books. Um, a book that has beautiful illustrations, you know, just a beautiful story, a beautiful book that you love reading, that they love hearing and go buy one exactly like it. Just make the investment, go buy a second version of that book and then just 
destroy it, basically. Um, run over it with your car, throw a garbage at it, get um, a Sharpie and mess up all the faces, let your dog chew on it, you know, just pretty much um, degrade it on every level. And then come to your child and show them the beautiful book that you've loved for so long and that you think is such a beautiful story. And then show them the other version of the book and say, do you see this book? If, if this had been the first time you saw this book that we know is beautiful and that you love, if this, if this was the way you saw it the first time, it would be disturbing to you. You really wouldn't want it's, it's not what it really, you know, that's not really the real story because you, it, it's not the right version of the story. It's a distorted version. Well, we have, God wants us to see sex the way he made it to be originally. And he put, it, it was, it's a gift from the garden from before there was the fall. And so he has a beautiful design for this, but the world has distorted it and has made it very um, disturbing. And so if you view pictures that are not good pictures about this, it can change the way you think about the story and it won't stay in the original way that it was intended to be. You know, I know you know this, Nick, but um, the last verse of chapter two in Genesis says, and man and woman were naked and unashamed. Mm -hmm. But the very next verse, the very next verse is chapter three, verse one. And it's now the serpent was the most crafty so that was the next thing that happened, like that perfect union in, in, in an unashamed covenant. You know, we have an enemy and this is something that he's bent on destroying our picture of that. So anyway, we don't live in the garden and I know that and I'm not a Pollyanna. I know we live in a very diverse and um, world and. But I want us to, at least for our children, show them what this was intended to be and then give them tools to stay on track for that as long as they can. And then give them grace when they don't, mm -hmm. you know, don't, don't make an idol of a perfect family. Don't make an idol of, of even virginity, because um, if they fall and stumble, they want to know they're still loved and they are. Yeah. So. We've been talking about sex, and when you talk about talking about to your young children, it was presented in a more mechanical fashion and such. But at what point do you start talking about the pleasures of sex, and how do you do that? Well, um, that's, that's such a great observation. You're right. We start out when they're young in the context of marriage, so we hope that's also in the context of love. But, but biologically sort of mechanical, but as you, as you continue to have, if you'll notice, I even did the conception talk in two different talks, you know, a, kind of an unveiling of it. So as you continue to unveil it, maybe you talk about, um, maybe you open the baby book and you talk about when they were born and how they, you know, how, um, what a wonderful date that was, but that really they were. They were had been growing for nine months and that you had prayed and and that mommies and daddies, because they love each other and want to have children. Um, this is what they do. But also they love each other and God sees them as one. And so they're one in lots of ways. They are one when they pray together. They're one when they make decisions together and um, when they discuss things. But they're also one physically. 
And this is a part of the joy of marriage. So maybe you enter into talking about how this is a part of the joy of marriage so that they get the idea that this is a a pleasurable experience. It's, It's just you just have it in your mind that at some point that's going to be part of the story. It's like you're always unveiling just a little bit at a time in an age appropriate way. Um, so it's, you know, to, to go on dates as parents to say, we enjoy being together, just the two of us, as much as we love you, we love being together. We love cuddling and kissing in the kitchen and dancing. You know, we love all of these things because, because God sees us as actually one person. Yeah. I think that's something also is one that parents need to do is illustrate your own love relationship with one another. I think one of the worst mistakes parents sometimes make after they have children is the children can become the focus of a marriage rather than each other. And that that only that do, that doesn't do us any favors in a marriage. No, you're right. Um, when we were getting premarital counseling, I remember our pastor said, um, he, he drew a picture while he was talking to us and he, he said, okay, here's the foundation of your um, marriage. And then he put four pillars to, to hold up the marriage. And it was like communication and, you know, all the things that premarital counselors t- talk to you about. But then he added a little porch on the front of this building. And he said, okay, this porch is, these are your children. Lord willing, you'll have children. And this is a porch, but it is a detachable porch. And if the building leans on the porch too much, if this marriage is dependent, you know, and is so focused on children, when the porch leaves, <laughs> the building might fall. It's damaged. So you need to have a secure building that's secure and that gives security to the porch, the children. But it also is can stand on its own when the children are gone. I thought that was really good advice. When we talk to our children, we start talking to them about pleasure. How do we explain to them that this should be only for marriage? Because I mean, they could talk about, they could see, we, we could tell them that this is something that brings a whole lot of joy to the couple and happiness and such. And we'd say, well, you know, playing video games also brings joy and happiness, and that's fine. So maybe I should just go out and have sex, and that'll bring me joy and happiness too. Well, the world would tell them that's exactly on par with, you know, basically if that's something you have an appetite for, then go and take care of that appetite. Um, I think if we raise our children understanding how powerful sex is, like, you know, Psalm 39, you were fearfully and wonderfully made. But, but, yeah, 139. uh, Yes, 139. Thank you. But the way they were made by the vehicle of sex is fearful and wonderful also. Right. And so help them to see that there are things. And, and so you can even ask a child at, you know, age six or seven or eight or nine, how can something be fearful, but wonderful? Let's think what could be something like that. And, and some examples that I've given parents are, you know, maybe you're sitting in front of a fire and it's cozy and it's wonderful and you're drawn to it. And it's, you know, it's just one of the beauties of um, a happy home is a happy fireplace, you know, a place to gather. But if the fire gets outside of where it's intended to be, it's destructive. And the same is true with very many other things in life that are powerful, like the ocean. It's beautiful, but we just saw this week that when it's out of where it needs to be, it can be destructive. So sex inside of marriage is a beautiful thing that draws two people together. 
but outside can be destructive. And not just that you might get pregnant, but that it's the closest that two people can be. So it's damaging your heart. It's doing damage to the one flesh apparatus that you want to have for the rest of your life. You're just doing things with your whole body that it's not ready for. And so it needs to be, because sex is so powerful and draws people in, you need to understand that things that are powerful need to be respected and you need to uh, know where they're supposed to be beautiful. Yeah. I I was thinking of two different kinds of analogies. First one is one I've always used. I often compare sex to nuclear energy. You say, you know, if you put it in the right place and use the right means, right proportions and such, it produces wonderful, wonderful results. But as soon as you take it out of that context, you get Chernobyl or something like that. And then when you talk about things that are fearful and wonderful both, I was thinking animals at the zoo could yeah. have that kind of criteria as well. But those lions... They're very impressive when they're inside that enclosure and such. But if you let them out, destruction would take place very quickly. Yes, we have used that also. I'm so glad to know that you thought that too. We've used, you know, that the animals in the zoo are beautiful. But if they got out of that cage, we'd all run for our lives. They can be dangerous. So even just helping them understand that something can be. And so we're not telling our children sex is bad. We're telling them it's actually very wonderful, and yet it's so powerful that it needs to be respected in the place where it's supposed to be. It's not easy. You know, little children, little children, uh, we, we don't wear our Sunday school shoes to play in the mud. You know, we, there are, there's a place that we wear these, or there's out of respect for the nice things. You know, there's a way that we treat things just the way exactly, Nick, that you're treating your wife. You treat her with protection because you love her and because what you have, you want to keep. And so um, things that you treasure, you, you protect. You don't just expose them, overexpose them. Mm-hmm. What I'm wondering also is, I spend a lot of time on this show having various scholars which come on who will defend the Bible and show it's reliable and such. But at the same time, I tell people, we need to have more than just the Bible. And this includes morality. So I'm sure your material goes over the Bible as well. But do you think it's also important that we use material that's not found explicitly in the Bible because, I mean, I, I think that when young parent, young children, for instance, maybe you're a teenage years, if all they have of them are just a few verses from St. Paul and such when hormones strike, it's not going to be enough. They need a whole worldview of sex to show how the Bible's message fits into the whole world out there. I agree. I think that this is, makes it even more important to start when they're young because what one thing they do need is a credible parent. Mm-hmm. And I think the more you talk to your kids about this subject, the more credibility you have. Um, I just picked uh, or I just have like the new um, Time magazine from, um, let's see, oh, it's April 2016. So it's the April version. And, and the cover story is porn why young men who grew up with internet porn are becoming advocates for turning it off. Mm-hmm. You know, that would be a great article to read um, with your blossoming children. You know, 
what these are people that have actually lived it, went after it, swallowed it. You know, they, they've done the whole thing. They, they just gobbled all that porn up. Let's see what they have to say about it. And, you know, I would look for articles that, um, yes, of course we depend on the Bible, but I think helping them find resources that they think are maybe more current, but also can re that, that can emphasize some of the things that you're trying to help them understand. Um, we, when our children were in upper elementary and middle school, we had, uh, an unwed mother live with us for, she was in a situation where her family was not going to let her live with her. And so we opened our home to her and she was so cute, Nick. She was darling. She had the cutest personality. And one night I can remember telling my husband, oh, I hope we haven't done the wrong thing. She's making unwed pregnancy look like so much fun because she was just so sweet and fun. But it offered us a chance to move towards compassion with someone, of course, that needed it. But also for our girls, Davis was too young, but our girls to really see, okay, she has challenges that I hope I don't have. You know, she's, of course, redeemable. We're so glad she's bearing this child. and But she's having to go through difficult decisions. And um, she's having to miss this whole year of, of high school. And she misses her friends. And so they got to see up close and personal a situation. And I think that's where sometimes, sometimes Christians just want to shelter their children from anything out there that is not right in line with what they hope their children would do. I think sometimes it's good to move enough in that direction that they can see for themselves. Maybe that's, that has consequences they wouldn't want. You know, I think that's really important because our culture, I think is trying to kind of glorify the idea of this being a sort of heroic thing. You know, of course it's wonderful. These women keep their children such that it shouldn't be seen as a position that anyone will want to go in. You got all these shows about teen moms and things of that sort. And just keeping it is this the right message we want to send to young people. Well, um, you know, I wouldn't want to say anything that would ever be interpreted as against pro life. Of course she was making the right decision and we supported her a thousand percent. And um but there's a difficulty there. There's a challenge there. And there's a, there's a journey that is, um, I, I know in the end was strengthening for her, but if she could have, you know, waited a while to have a baby, I think she would have, you know, if she, if she had thought before she had had sex about that, maybe she would have said, maybe I, I don't want to take that chance. And what can we say to our young children about, peer pressure, because eventually as they grow up, they will start to experience peer pressure. And I think we need something more than just the basic. If everyone jumped into a lake, would you do the same thing too? <laughs> I wish that worked. <laughs> I really do wish that worked. Um, that's, it is, it's extremely difficult. Um, one thing is that you, as parents, anticipate peer pressure. So help yourself out a little bit and help your children have more than one set of friends, set of church friends, but a set of school friends, neighborhood buddies, and maybe somebody in the band that you like to hang out with. Um, cultivate different circles of friends. Sometimes I think 
what happens is you get locked into a little group of friends and you don't have another set to go to if that set starts going in a direction that even your child doesn't want to go. Like they, it, Sometimes they don't even want to go that way, but they don't know another place to hang out and who else to talk to. So when they're young, try to cultivate more than one um, set of friends. And that's just kind of on the prevent side. But once they get into the throes of it, then, you know, it can be very challenging. I think for people of faith to have um, a Bible study leader, uh, someone who's younger than the mother, but older than the child, that can speak good truth. I mean, speak solid truth to them. Um, let them go hear speakers that can tell good stories of a, of, of um, their childhood. And then there is something that we encourage, and that is, now I know this may not have that much to do with peer pressure, but, and you may have to go to my website to see this, because I don't know if I can say it as much, well as I can illustrate it, but we have uh, we encourage parents to do what we call the timeline with their kids. And so they draw a diagram, just one long line with like 88 notches in it. And we say, okay, okay, sweetheart, let's say that you're going to live to be 88 years old. Well, you've already lived to be, let's say, 12 or 13. So let's run the highlight film. Tell me how great your life has been. What have been the highs and the lows, the challenges, the victories? You know, let's talk about your life so far and then let's skip from 13 to 22 for now and let's dream the dream. Like what kind of an education do you hope you have? What kind of career, family, just paint your life for me, basically, and then come back to those uh, that little segment of like 13 to 22. And visually, they can see it's not that much of their life, but to talk about how this can be um this is a strategic time in your life. This is when you make some decisions that can have long-term consequences. Um, this is kind of a little bit like the hinge on the door. You don't think of the door as the hinge, but it kind of points to a certain direction. And what I would like to do as your parent is help you, help you if I can, get through these years with as little baggage as possible, you know, with as few regrets as possible. So, when your friends, you know, I love your friends, but if they start going in a direction of sex, drugs, and alcohol that I think would do long-term damage, then I'm going to advise you that we make some other decisions, you know. And um, and when it, when you talk about that before it's a reality, then it's helpful, you know. Just So the timeline parents have found to be a really helpful tool. And once again, I don't know if I explained it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you did. Now, this material, you've been saying it's for parents and such. Could it be applicable also to say teachers in a Sunday school class or something of that sort? Yes, I think the timeline in particular would be good for a Sunday school, uh, you know, like a sixth grade Sunday school class to do. But what I, my, one of the goals that we have is to um, connect parents and kids because that Sunday school teacher isn't going to be there when they come home from a date and think, I wonder, did I just go too far? You know, you need to have, um, background with your, with your child because they need to know they can come to you and you'll have wisdom and grace. And so if you've never been able to show wisdom or grace in the past, it's, that's not a great place to start. And, um, yes, we do. I think that'd be a great thing to do in Sunday school, but, um, I also don't want parents to leave this up to Sunday school teachers. Mm-hmm. 
where we don't really have time for another question. And so I'm going to go ahead and start just wrapping things up. Mary, there's been a whole lot of information here, but a lot of parents listening could wonder where they can get more. Do you have a blog or website where people can get in touch with you if they want to find out more? Yes, I do. Thank you for asking, Nick. I, I've really enjoyed our conversation, and um, I I have been giving this talk um, for about 30 years, since 1986, and training parents. And um, it's been a very time-tested and, and really well-received program that I give for parents. But now we are putting it all on a website, and that website is not going to be live for another couple of weeks. So I'm kind of in the same place that you are, Nick. But if you want to get any of my resources now, you can go to maryflow.org, M-A-R-Y-F-L-O.org, and that will have my material. However, I am moving to a new website, and it is birds-bees.com. And it's not the word dash, it's the hyphen symbol dash, so it's birds-bees.com. If you go there right now, there'll be a landing page, and on that, so it'll be kind of a picture of what's, what's to come. But on that landing page, it'll say, give us your email and we'll let you know when the website is open. We want this website to be a place where people can find all of this information. We'll have lots of different resources and we'll have videos of the um, talk that I've given. And the person. so I'm I'm now a grandmother (laughs) with six grandchildren and my partner who's taking over a lot of the speaking engagements in the future her name is Megan Michelson and she's a young mom and she's in the trenches with the rest of you all so um, either maryflow.org or Mm birds-bees.com well do you have any uh, final words of advice that you'd like to leave for the people who are audience today I would just say that um, this is something that is a lifelong challenge for parents, but getting started early will be something you never regret. If you have children that don't ask, ask them, have you ever wondered about how a baby's born? And so just be prepared to engage with your children, whether they ask or not, because most children are curious and they want to know. If you feel like your children are older and you never covered this, It's not too late if they're still living in your house. So go back and just say, you know, there's some things we've never covered, but I'd like to start having conversations about this. So we're going to have one conversation a week for the next six months and see if you can't get um, a good conversation going. And then finally, pray for your children. Just pray. Um, This is a crazy world, but we have um, a Lord who is sure to save. Mm -hmm. Well, Mary, I'd like to thank you for coming on and hope we will see you back here again sometime. Nick, thank you so much. I, I'm really honored to be with you today. I'd like to remind everyone that next week, my father-in-law, Mike Lacuna, is coming back to our show. And we're going to be talking about the gospel's reliability. Can, can they stand up to scrutiny and such? For now, I am Nick Peters, and I am signing off.